Yeah, I was just say one of the things that frustrated me the most about being an entrepreneur was <clears throat> the amount of people that give you advice, um, and uh, you know, and it, and it kind of goes in, in waves. You sort of had the didn't matter what business you're in, you had to build an app a few years ago, and then then you had to get on the blockchain, and then you had to go into China. You know, if you can just get one dollar off everyone in China, um, and uh, yeah, the reality is these things are really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but nobody's got any skin in the game, so it's very easy for them to say, "Oh, you know what you're doing wrong. You need to go into China." Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, is a business transformation coach with Admentis, where he coaches business leaders and their teams with a proven set of principles and tools, helping them gain clarity in and get more of what they want from their business. Make sure to stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest. Hello, everyone. Jeff Chastain here with the Building to Scale podcast, where I get the opportunity to speak with entrepreneurial business leaders and the influencers, thought leaders here, really hearing their stories about both the, the challenges and experiences, the successes they've had in growing and scaling their own entrepreneurial businesses. Today's guest with me is Callum Lang with the MBH Corporation. And I know a little bit about this. I've read a little bit about it and talked to Callum a little bit, but this is I'm, one, I'm gonna turn this over to him and let him give you a little bit more background or give us a little bit more background on the company and exactly how it works. So first off, Callum, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us, or thank you for joining us. And I uh, wanted to see if you could paint a little bit better picture of your company and what's going on these days. Yeah, sure. Well, thank, thank you for having me, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be on here. Um, so look, I know the, the focus of this podcast is on scale and um, we, by, by revenue and by profits, we are the fastest scaling new listing in Europe uh, in 2019 and 2020. So um, however, we've achieved that through acquisition. Um, so a little, little bit different from the sort of traditional approach to scale, but, but actually, um, it's very relevant. So what we were trying to do was solve a problem that we had had as small businesses ourselves um, and that we saw amongst our peers that, in fact, we, we touched on it earlier before the call about when you, you you grow to a certain point and then you sort of reach this this glass ceiling. And, and we, we call it the, uh, the scale paradox. You're too small to win the really big contracts because you can't win the really big contracts, you remain small. And so our solution was to create a publicly listing, listed holding company exclusively for owner-operated, profitable, cash-generating small businesses. And in effect, what happens is these small business owners, they swap their private stock for public stock, but they keep full autonomy in their business. So they have full control. It's their brand. It's their hiring and firing their culture. Um, because no, normally the way these things work is they're sort of top-down finance driven. So you know, a, a financier will buy your company because he thinks he knows he can run it better. Um, and uh, yeah, within a year, all the talent has left and uh, you know, the heart and soul has been ripped out of the business. So um, we, we believe that the founders are typically the best people to be running their own business we're, we're not interested in growth for the sake of growth we're, we're interested in longevity and uh, yeah so we we put this holding group together we add about one company a month um, so 
Uh, we've got 20, 21 companies in the group as of today, but it, uh, it goes up fairly rapidly. Um, and all, all of these companies, diff different sectors, we've got construction, we've got uh, healthcare, we've got education, um, pretty much industry agnostic. But what we're really looking for, on, on average, the companies in the group are about 20 years old, uh, often old economy. Um, but the, the real distinction is that the businesses aren't for sale. Uh, the founders want to keep control. They want to, you know, we, we all grumble about our clients and our staff, but um, overall, these business owners still love what they do and want to keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of the the unfortunate, and granted, it's not always the case, but still that unfortunate story you always hear about, like you said, investors coming in, taking control, that you really give up all the company. It's like, okay, what, what's the what's the point at that point? So that's an interesting model. I hadn't heard that one before. So tell me a little bit more about yourself and how you got into, is, is this investment model just kind of what you've always been doing, investing, or what, what's your what's your backstory here? How'd you get into obviously yeah, starting that, a new that, company here and building this model? Yeah, not, not at all. Um, so I, I, I've been an entrepreneur ever since I was a kid. Uh, yeah, poor, poor kid coming up with little business ventures to hustle and make some money on the side. And um, had my first, first real success with a recruitment company um, at the height of the dot-com boom. Uh, so we were providing IP engineers to telcos around Europe, which... Um, yeah, it was very successful and at the age of 23, 24. Of course, I thought that success was all down to me, um, not, not the fact that I was in one of the biggest bubbles of all time. Uh, so, of course, when that bubble deflated, I realized I wasn't nearly as clever or good looking as I thought I uh, had been. Um, but, yeah, you, le you, learn, uh, you learn a lot from those experiences. And then, yeah, just kept starting building ultimately buying and selling um, small businesses as I kind of moved, moved through the path. And then about six years ago, uh, a friend of mine who's now my business partner phoned me up and basically a couple of people that we knew well had both kind of reached that scale paradox, got frustrated by the fact that, uh, and, and this is something you'll, you'll be familiar with and every small business owner is familiar with, is that if you've built a successful small business, you're creating a huge amount of value. Your economic footprint is actually really quite big. Uh, you know, you've got families relying on you, your suppliers, landlords. Um, and typically there's only one person that doesn't get to extract much value from your own business. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you pull out a decent salary and dividends in the good years, but compared to the economic footprint, it's nothing. And, and really the only way you can monetize that value is to sell it. But actually a lot of business owners don't want to sell. Uh, um, so what we were seeing happen, uh, and I'm sure you've seen this as, as well, is when companies end up selling to a bigger player in the industry. So they kind of do this, this deal. It's almost always structured as a three-year or a five-year earnout. Um, but the problem with that is that us entrepreneurs don't make very good employees. Uh, we, we're just not very good at being told what to do, uh, especially when it comes to our own baby. And so, you know, you see these deals and they look fantastic on paper, but more often than not, after six months or a year, the, the founder has been fired from their own company or they've quit in disgust and left a lot of the, um, a lot of the deal on the table. So, yeah, what uh, Jeremy phoned me up and said, hey, look, what do you think about us creating the... The, the ideal buyer 
in in effect and and i just knew it it solved problems that i'd had in the past and it solved a problem that a lot of my peers were facing so yeah we've spent the last six years um working our way through the the nuances of the capital markets and all of the challenges that that come with that and uh um learned a lot but we we've just we've got this particular group of companies just fantastic business owners there you know the rest of the world's obsessed with startups um you know governments and media and and those stories are very exciting but i much prefer talking to business owners that have been in the industry for 20 30 years you know they've got the got the war stories they've had a few bloody noses um you know those are the ones with the more interesting stories for me yeah, it makes sense. And I actually now I'm sitting here listening to you talk that way. It's like even I, I know a local optometrist that we've been dealing with for many years and got to that kind of stage like, okay, I'm, I'm the practice is all me. She sold it to a, a bigger company while she's still working in the office kind of a thing. And it's driving her nuts with the, the changes they're making the, the services, etc. It's like, okay, this is not the way we used to do things. This is not the way we used to help our customers kind of a thing. And it's just, yeah, trying to I'm, I'm with you on that same way. It's like trying to work inside of a company, just when you've got that entrepreneurial kind of spirit or that entrepreneurial kind of drive, that's really hard all of a sudden going back and saying, I'm going to go work inside of another company. And especially like you said, if it's, if it was your company, I can't, I haven't been down that path personally, but I can't imagine trying to personally sit in that, that seat and say, okay, yeah, somebody else is making decisions now just for a paycheck, basically effectively that I'm, I'm getting some more pay it's- out of it still. Yeah, it, it's very difficult. I, I think because there's so much psychology involved in small business and, and business owners literally have kind of put everything on the line to, to get their business to, to where it is. And it's interesting when, when we talk about this model to anyone with any entrepreneurial experience, the normal reaction is, well, that makes so much sense. Why, why doesn't everyone do that? But yet, if I pitch this to Wall Street, if I pitch this to like the typical investment bankers or private equity, the, the, I get the same response every time, which is, why would you trust the entrepreneur? Why wouldn't you put a real manager in place instead? Um, now, to their mind, a real manager is a 32-year-old with an MBA that's never risked their own money in their life. Yep. Um, but uh, I, <laughs> you know, that that's just a very different mindset. And, and look, you know. The, they play their game, we play our game. But um, uh, yeah, I think it's it's a very hard thing for a for somebody that has kind of sweat, blood, and tears for to build up their business to then be told how they should run it by somebody else, even, even if there is a nice payday at the end of it. Yeah, well, that's interesting. You mentioned the the MBA because I was just doing some reading on some statistics the other day where it said that. Of, of all the entrepreneurs, typically at least uh, only 44% have any kind of college degree in the first place. And even it's like a very small percentage of that have a business degree or any kind of business background. Because I know my personal background was in technology. I've got a computer science degree, which was great from technology standpoint when I was running a, a managed services provider or a software service company, did nothing for me from a business standpoint. So what do you see, or I guess maybe you're a little bit beyond that kind of stage with these companies, but what do you see with those entrepreneurial types in terms of obviously just handing them money can help, but at the same time, they've got to have the business smarts and all to say, okay, what am I going to do with this money and, and actually make it worthwhile? So what, what do you see or what do you do? What, what other kind of resources do you provide or what do you see with them trying to say, okay, how do you actually grow that business or scale that business now that you've got some yeah. additional funds and resources? Well, I mean, first, first of all, we don't necessarily 
inject capital into them. Um, you know, this is something that's sort of born out of the Silicon Valley startup thing, which is come up with an idea, raise money, go and test it. Um, you know, a lot of these companies are, yes, that's a 20 year old interior fit out company that does restaurants or hotels, something like that. Um, you know, they're not necessarily looking to, uh, sorry, let me do that. Um, they're not necessarily looking to expand. They're not looking uh, to, to grow. They're not looking to be the next unicorns. Um, however, they're more likely to win bigger contracts because they're part of a public company. And so um, when, when a company has been going 20 years, they know exactly where they to put the money to get the most effect. Um, as, as opposed to, you know, you, you invest capital in a startup and they're still trying to figure out product market fit. They, you know, go and throw it all on adverts and, and all of that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, with our companies, we're actually much more interested in, are they still going to be here in 20 years time? Um, that, that to me is a much more interesting question. And because one, one of the, number one killers of small businesses over expansion uh, and yet the private equity model and the venture capital model especially is about expansion it's about you know we, we need one of you guys to blow it out of the water and, and be this uh, unicorn so that we can pay for all the, the mistakes that don't work out um, and so they put enormous pressure on founders to expand at all costs and to make decisions that you wouldn't normally make um, because you're you're really shooting for, for the stars whereas we we don't really that isn't really the sort of the businesses that we work with the businesses that we work with that you know they're quite happy growing at 5 10 15 percent a year and, and we're quite happy with that too because they're spitting off cash uh, every year so we can we can we can scale incredibly incredibly quickly because we're adding companies. We don't need to put pressure on those companies to scale themselves uh, faster than they feel comfortable. That's interesting. Yeah, because I was actually just had a, another guest on recently that was talking about their their second pass at, at business model and the first pass had failed literally because they scaled so fast and grew so fast that it just, it overtook them at that point that everything was was built on scale. It was a, a, a medical association kind of thing and they grew up to, I think it was 650 some odd beds he was saying and just collapsed basically under the weight kind of a thing of being such a big company and scaling so fast everything was focused on that whereas now the smaller venture was like okay we're just gonna we're gonna be the smaller boutique we're gonna get up to, to 50 and we're gonna support this right and do it right have the right customer service things like that so yeah that on one hand yes you want to be able to grow up and scale like you said to be able to reach bigger contracts bigger levels but at the same time doing that too fast or doing it without a foundation underneath it is is problematic at least yeah absolutely so when you're dealing or when you're working with these business leaders, what, what to you makes the sign of a good business leader, a good business that's a fit for this versus somebody that's still struggling? What, what, are, the, what are the good characteristics or something you'd look for in, in talking with one of these business leaders that you're looking to bring on? Yeah, it's, it's fairly self-selecting um, insofar as we're, we're looking for, for well-established, profitable cash generating businesses um and, and as you know that's that already eliminates <laughs> a, lot. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of businesses so um 
and and like I said, sort of by default, most of these companies are 10, 20 years old or, or more. So they've been through a few kind of ups and downs. They've learned a few lessons. Um, and I think, uh, we looked the other day, I think the average age of the business owners is 50 years, um, they're 50 years old. And I, and I think that's important because when, when you're younger, so when you're sort of in your 30s, you're still trying to prove to the world that you can do everything yourself. Um, at least I was. Uh, and I, yeah. I think most, most people are still doing that. Whereas by the time you get to uh, your, your late 40s, 50s and beyond, you're much more, you know what, if I can achieve the same goal by partnering with somebody else, then, uh, then I'll take the easy route every day. Um, and so we just end up with very collaborative-minded business owners um it's, yeah it's definitely not for for everyone and 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 a lot of business owners i mean 70 percent of all small business owners are uh, sorry are, are baby boomers so they're they're thinking about retirement some people just want to exit and and that's fair enough but that's not really a good fit for us um certainly i'd say a few of the the companies in the group the founders thinking you know three to five years i'm gonna step step away but um, I don't, yeah, I, I quite want to to grow it and and be part of this. And and what's been interesting with COVID over the last uh, nine months or so is one of the kind of the hidden benefits of this model. Of course, people get the scale and they get the liquidity and all of the sort of the razzmatazz that comes with with being part of a public company um, while can, keeping their control. But they're also <clears throat> part of a group they make up the majority of the owners of this company. So they now have a peer group that have a vested interest in their success. <clears throat> and conversely, they've got a vested interest in the other people's success. So you get this, um, you get this sharing of best practices and um, ideas and suggestions and networking that's, that it's, that it's, it's like the ultimate mastermind group because everyone actually has that stake in your future. Um, so that's, that's a really nice sort of element to it as well. Yeah, I, I get that one. I like that. Honestly, that's kind of like what we're trying to build and do some of here because I've found, like I said, I, we were talking beforehand, even in my own entrepreneurial kind of journey that you kind of get to the top of the company and it's like, okay, where do I turn for expertise? Where do I turn for advice? And yeah, there's, there's various peer groups out there, but still it's the, to me, it's, there's, I guess whenever I was going through it before, it's like, I'd always turn to business books or, or various resources. It's like, there's so much theory out there, but it's like, okay, where's the practicality? Where do I actually find somebody that's been through these trenches before that can help me when, and having that kind of peer relationship, having that kind of peer group there is, is huge. And especially if you've got a group of companies all together right there in kind of a, not as, not the same industry, obviously, but still kind of same, same uh, frame of life or stage of life right there, then they can better leverage each other to say, hey, we've, we've done this, we've tried this, all yeah. different aspects. So yeah, that's, that's huge right there. Yeah, I was just say one, one of the things that frustrated me the most about being an entrepreneur was <clears throat> the amount of people that give you advice. Um, and, uh, you know, and it, and it kind of goes in, in waves. You sort of had the, didn't matter what business you're in, you had to build an app a few years ago and then then you had to get on the blockchain and then you had to go into China you know if you can just get one dollar off everyone in China um, and uh, yeah the reality is these things are really difficult yeah <laughs> um, but 
but nobody's got any skin in the game. So it's very easy for them to say, oh, you know what you're doing wrong? You need to go into China or you need to build an app. And it's, um, so yeah, the nice thing about having this group that, that owns a stake is they don't give you flippant advice. Uh, you know, they, they don't want you to go and waste your time on a, on a, yeah, an, an ego trip product um, that they actually want you to, yeah, they want to connect you to people that can help you. And, and uh, yeah, it's a very different uh, atmosphere. It's great. Yeah. So you mentioned obviously COVID and everything we're going through right now, but at the same time, you said that 2020 and even 2019 have been a big growth year. What are you seeing or what are you doing differently potentially in this, this kind of time frame? Is it from a, a pivot business kind of pivot direction or the, the companies, like you said, you've got are, are stable enough? What, what's, what's been different or what's changed the last couple of years here from a, a global yeah. perspective? Uh, it's a good question. So I, I think there's two sides to it. There's, there's us as a holding company. I think the model has come at the right time. So there's a lot of companies that we've been speaking to for years that were perfectly happy outside on their own. Um, and this year they've just kind of gone, you know, I can, I can carry on doing what I'm doing, but I'd much rather be part of a group and, and have that sort of support infrastructure around me. So that's allowed us to do 11 acquisitions so far this year. Um, the companies in the group, some industries have been much harder hit than other industries. So we have quite a lot of construction companies, obviously with lockdowns and stuff that there was nothing they, they could do. So they've been hit. But I think the, the key difference is that two things, all, all of them so the average age of the companies is 20 years. So they've all been through it. They all remember the global financial crisis. They all went through that. Um, anyone that went through that knows, you know, looking back, you wish you had made decisions quicker. Um, you know, you wish you cut costs quicker. You wish you'd done, so communicated with your staff better, whatever it was. So as soon as this started to hit, all of the companies in the group were just on top of things because they, they knew what to expect. Um, so that's that's one thing. Um, and then the second thing is all of the companies in the group have been through a very positive acquisition process over in the last couple of years. And so now what's happening is they're looking at their suppliers, their competitors, their partners with the kind of the, the lens of, hey, you know, maybe we should be having a conversation about you coming and joining us. Um, and if you're struggling, like if I see a competitor that's suddenly slashing their prices because they're desperate to stay in business, well, maybe I shouldn't react to that, but instead I should go and put my arm around them and say, hey, look, why don't we have a, a grown-up conversation? Um, and I think that's uh, the combination of those, those few things is, uh, is really paying dividends for us. And I think we'll, over the next 12 to 18 months, we'll see uh, that, that actually despite all the trauma and heartache and everything else this year, that, that actually this has been a very pivotal year and, and we'll all come out a lot stronger for it. Yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. And I like how you mentioned that it's, it's different on different industries kind of a thing there. Cause it's, 
it's it's been at least from what I've seen as well. It's different industries, but it's even still like you said within the same industry kind of a thing that the the, the yeah. company that's had the history, had some experience, had a better foundation, more likely to come through and say, hey, we've got the visibility, we can make those pivots, those changes quicker. Whereas the one that hasn't, kind of a thing. So we'll see even the same industry, one company thriving, one company uh, struggling, kind yeah, of thing, right, right next to each other. So it's it's a lot on that history, and that's the the unfortunate side of, of entrepreneurship that you basically somehow you've got to get that history, that, that background there. So <laughs> I, I like the, like you said, the peer group kind of a thing to be able to lean on each other and help each other. That's, that's one of the big keys to me there that I will always see. So putting on kind of the, the rose colored glasses here, looking forward, what, what's the next four or five years look like for, for, for your company or for businesses in general that you're working with? What do you, what do you see different there? Yes, I think, um, for our company, we're we're definitely just going to keep keep doing what we're doing. Um, you know, our our reason for being is to to level the playing field for small businesses, um, and we we believe, and I think we're we're getting more and more case studies to prove that a small business within a public company environment can thrive better than one on its own. Um, so we we will aim to help as many small businesses across the world. I mean, we, we tend to focus English language, English rule of law. Um, so that's what we'll, we'll continue to grow. I think um, the companies in the group, they are, a lot of them will start consolidating in their industry. So they've, um, you know, and, and sometimes we, we've already had a few friendly companies that have, gone bust this this year and, and basically either given uh some of the companies in our group their clients or sold the clients to them um in other cases we're in discussion just to buy the whole businesses off them because and it's often i mean these are good businesses oftentimes but um you know especially if you're older if you're in your 60s or 70s you, you know you might be able to to get through this again you might know what it takes but can you be bothered? You know, it's it's hard yards. Um, so yeah, we've certainly had conversations with people that that have got great companies, um, and actually a lot of them, you know, for them it's it's more it's a little bit about legacy, but it's more about um, they want their staff to be looked after. They want their clients to be looked after. It's uh, you know they would rather join something like this and, and have that peace of mind that things will carry on the way they've always carried on than sell to somebody that um, will try and cut costs and take shortcuts and do all of those kind of bits and pieces. So uh, yeah, I think we will continue to add more and more companies into the group. And I think the companies in the group will start to consolidate within their in, in respective industries. That makes sense, yeah. So if you were to look kind of just across the different companies that you're working with, what are some of the keys to success or key strategies, something that, okay, obviously all these companies have done X or have focused in this area. Well, what's, what's, what's gotten them to this stage really? Can you see, is there any, any common trends you can see across there? Yeah, I'm going to give you a really annoying answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I think what, what our model, like I, I speak to uh, five businesses a day, um, every day across multiple different industries, different ages, different countries. 
Um, you know, I think what, what stands out is how different they are. Not, not, not the similarities. It's yeah. um, so much of it comes down to the founder's personality and, and the, what they believe. And, and part of the, part of our model, which is, which differentiates us is, is we don't try and change them. Um, but it's, it's often tough because from the outside, com small companies always look like there's so many things you could do to Im improve them. And yet these are companies that have survived for 20 years. They're profitable. Most of them are doing a million dollars in EBIT or above. Um, and yet one of them might be, you know, the, the person running it could be complete anal retentive micromanager that wants to see everybody and everything. And you just think, how have you managed to survive? Like, doing that and then you've got somebody else that's completely laissez-faire and um you know one person's micromanaging the numbers and one person's just the back slapping sales person and um you know that they're, they're all very very different very different cultures and they, and i think um for us it's about allowing those those businesses and um recognizing that just because something works in one business doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work in another. I mean, I, I'm personally a huge fan of partnerships. I, the first book I wrote was called Progressive Partnerships, and it was how small businesses can scale by leveraging off other people's resources. Um, and yet look at some of these businesses and, and they do very little in, in the way of, of partnerships. Um, you know, I, I found social media to be an incredibly powerful tool for building profile and, and what we're doing. We've got some companies that barely have a website, um, you know, but they don't need it. Like everyone in their industry knows them. They get, they've got more business than they can handle as it is. So uh, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. I wish I could boil it down into one really clever uh, line, but um no, well, I at think, the same time, uh, I, I think it's actually a, a very good point that's saying, okay, you don't have to have effectively going the extreme, the franchise model of, of find another successful business, copy them exactly kind of a thing. And then you'll have obviously the same success because it really does. There's so many variables in it of, like you said, personality, the people that you have there with you, the, the, even the region kind of a thing you're in, if you're more of a regional kind of something, obviously you talked earlier about dot-com kind of phase. It, it's the timing timing kind of a thing there. If you were in technology then, it was great. If you're in technology 10 years later kind of a thing, you're not going to take off quite as fit, fast. There's not going to be quite as many people just looking to throw money at you kind of a thing. So there's, there's a lot of variables go into it kind of a thing. But it's, at least from my perspective, it comes into the, the foundation kind of stuff. Like we said, do you know how to truly lead people? Do you know how to manage people? Do you know, just from a personality standpoint, do you know how to get your team pulled together and pull behind you, whether you are the more the hands-on the micromanagement type or the the hands-off kind of a thing but do you still have that that personality that kind of stuff behind you to say okay yes we're going to be a team yes i can get people to follow me work together and that it's it really is kind of whatever model works for you really yeah and i think um yeah you know, like i said the companies that we work with typically are doing a million in profit or above and i, I just i don't think you get to that in unless you recognize what you're good at and what you're not good at um, and being able to kind of say look this is my area of expertise and this isn't uh, is quite is definitely a critical component yeah especially your comment there on the the partnerships being able to bring in like you said people that 
have a have uh not competing have have uh foundational building skills. yeah working with you kind of thing complimentary there we go get the right word there complimentary skills where working with you so because that's yeah it's that's that's really the differentiator between going the the solo entrepreneur kind of jumping in and saying okay now we're going to get to the lux levels you got to have people to build because you can't do everything yourself and yeah. that's that's one where I see too many people still trying, even at the, the five, 10 kind of person level, they're still trying to do everything, still wearing everything. Hey, I've just got 10 assistants. It's like, no, you, you really, you're, you're hamstringing your own business at that point by that stage. You, you got to be able to let go, admit that there's some other people out there that might know a little bit more about you. And it's actually not a bad thing to not be the smartest person in the room. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Well, I, no, we're kind of running out of time here. So tell me a little bit more about, or at least tell our listeners a little bit more about the company itself. If they're interested in finding out more about you, if there's certain kind of criteria that you want to lay out up front to say certain types of businesses. I, I think you had said earlier on that basically you're interested potentially worldwide, not necessarily just European, but tell us a little bit more no. about how we can get in touch with you if they're interested in finding out more. Yeah, no, no, please, please reach out. Um, you know, we, we have some companies in the U S we, um, we're actually due to start trading in the US, so you'll be able to buy our stock as well. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll be adding many more companies in the US and Canada uh, over the next year or so. So um, pretty much industry agnostic, and but we're, we're looking typically for owner-operated businesses that are doing more than a million of, of net profit. Um, and yeah, the company's called MBH Corporations, so mbhcorporation.com. Um, we're pretty prevalent on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, but yeah, come to the website and we'd love to hear from you. Happy to share more with, with you about what we're doing. That's a, a very interesting concept. As I will say it's the first time I've, I've heard of this before. So it's, it's very, very intriguing and different from, like I said, the, the other models that we've talked about before or typically hear about when it comes to business acquisition. So I'm, I'm excited to see where things go and, and hopefully things continue to progress well for you guys. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Fingers crossed. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate your time today and we'll definitely hopefully be talking soon and talking again later. Well, thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building to Scale podcast. If you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story, please visit buildingtoscale.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guest a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on any of the major social media networks or check us out at admentis.com. Oh,